Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, if you will. The, uh, the person or a group in this instance I want to honor today um, is uh, they're, they're pretty new to the church, um, but they, they've already got involved in, in a lot of different ways. Um, they've been a blessing in, in many different ways to f- quite a few different people. Um, they have a lot of ideas, and they, they, it may not be up front, um, other than they're pretty much on the worship team. So, uh, but the people that I want to honor today is this group of young people that we have started to get um, within the last couple of months. Uh, they, they're really not just on the worship team, which is amazing to see their heart and their desire in that, um, but they, they've really stepped up and, and have thrown us, given us ideas, and have, have literally given out and, and given to people um, during this time. So I just wanted to thank them and um, honor them a little bit. And if you don't know them, uh, go meet them. Go talk with them. Uh, introduce yourself. Uh, let them know that, you know, that you're going to pray for them, because I hope you do. And, uh, you know, that's just a great way to be connected. So, and hopefully they, they stay a little bit afterwards and allow themselves to be introduced and met as well. So, how many of you remember last week's sermon? Two hands, two hands. <laughs> Told you every time, whether I'm doing announcements or preaching, I'll ask you. Do, do you guys remember the lessons? There were four lessons. Do you remember those? Lesson of sympathy, in sympathy. Lessons in humility, lessons in generosity, and lessons in opportunity. Um, and so we went through, like, I think four different parables last week. So there, there are a few different parables, but those were the lessons um, that we had learned. Well, today's parable is not a parable, at least from my standpoint. I don't know. Maybe everyone else is like, no, this is the most popular parable in the world. Uh, but from my standpoint, this isn't very often thought of as a parable, but also just in general when you, when you mention this parable. The parable of the strong man. Uh, I think part of that is it's not introduced as, as a lot of parables are. Sometimes Jesus would introduce parables by saying, or, or the writer, the author of the book would say, and Jesus spoke to them in a parable, or in a parable he said. Um, or sometimes he'd introduce parables and say, the kingdom of God is like. And so those, those are introductions, and it isn't introduced that way. But also it's surrounded by events that I think from our standpoint are grander than the parable itself. I mean, when we read this passage, there's going to be some very interesting things, some, some topics that uh, no doubt could be sermon after sermon and, and messages and lessons after lessons uh, just within these few verses. But I think because of that, this parable isn't always the first one that comes to mind when you're asked the question, you know, tell me a parable or name a parable in the Bible. So let's start reading in Luke chapter 11. We're going to start reading in verses 14 going through 26. Starting in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I, ca- that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. 
But if it is by the finger of God and I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings, se- brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Let's pray. Father God, we are humbled by your word today. Lord, the power and the miracles that we read here are an amazing, great things and can only be done by your spirit. But God, there is a lesson you have for us in this. God, I pray that we will listen to your word today, that we will apply these things, that we will seek what you have, that we can practice them, and that we would choose your side. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Sorry, Andrea, could you give me a cup of water? I just know my voice is about to give out. <laughs> so it's going to be real squeaky, and that'll be very interesting. So the first thing we're going to see here is that Jesus is accused. Okay, the first thing is Jesus is accused, and that's starting in verse 14. Now, he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him, a sign from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but that was a pretty nonchalant way of saying this guy was casting out demons, right? I mean, if, if you were to see that, if you were to be part of that, is that how you would describe that event? If you were, if you were to be with Jesus and then Jesus, there's this man who, who obviously had been demon-possessed and Jesus, or Jesus cast out these demons, would you have been like, yeah, Jesus, you know, he was casting out demons and, uh, you know, the normal, right? It was a very nonchalant way. People were actually more amazed when this man who was mute began to speak. And the, the demon, it was, he was a, it was a mute demon, so it was unable, unable to speak and causing this man not to speak. So when they, when they saw this man speak, they were amazed. Jesus was performing miracles and healings, and, and he was exercising demons, thank you, left and right. right. He was doing it all the time. As we read through the New Testament, we see that all over the place. Because of that fact... The skeptics of Jesus, those that were against him, couldn't deny it, right? If they were to see and be like, yeah, this guy, we know this individual who was blind, or this person that couldn't speak or couldn't hear, and they can now, right? There's no way they could de- deny it. They would see it all the time. See, but the way that they would try to refute these things, the way that they would go against Jesus, is that they would slander him, and they would, they would possibly try to test him against their own laws and their own traditions, you might, you might actually uh, experience that in your own life sometimes. When, when, even in church, when you're doing the right thing, when you, when you feel like, yes, this is what God wants me to do, and you're doing the right thing, there might be someone that is against you, someone that doesn't want you to succeed, someone that will stand up and, and, and accuse you and choose to slander you because they, don't, they either don't agree with what you're doing or they don't want you to do it that way or they don't want you to be successful. They can't, uh, they can't stand you succeeding, but they also can't deny the work. So what they do is they will lie about the individual. And that's what was happening to Jesus here. 
They saw the demons, and so they decided to slander him and say, wow, they must be doing the work of the devil. Jesus was being attacked by many for doing the right thing. But you see, the, the, what the Pharisees or the, the people would say is, what, what has happened could not have been from God. It must not have been from God because we're the people of God. We're the ones that are standing up for what's right. We're the ones that are doing what God says. And, 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 and this individual is blasphemous. It, it, then, you know, he claims to be the son of God. Like All these things, we can't allow this. So it must not be from God because we're fighting against him. So it must be the work of the devil then. If he's against us and God is with us, and he's, then it must be from the devil. It's got to be. Even those, when we read, that those that were looking to test him, they were against him as well. It wasn't a, a curious group like, hmm, more miracles, you know. It was, what they were saying is like, okay, if you're really from God, show some miracle in the heavens. Do something grander. Don't just be doing, you know, miracles on earth here. Which to me is like, it's kind of an interesting, it's like, man, he just cast out a demon. You know, that's like a pretty cool thing to me. You know, he has this power. That seems pretty miraculous to me. But they wanted to test him. See if this maybe was just something fake that was going on. The people, they had become so blind by their traditions, opinions, and their own self-righteousness that they couldn't tell the difference between the work of God or of the devil. They were so blinded by what they thought was to be true, by their own traditions, by their own self-righteousness. You know, Jesus, as they, they would come to him and try to test him and, and say, you're doing wrong, all these things, Jesus would correct them. Right? And he would point out all the things. He would say, you know, you do this or you do this. And he would, he would, he would, make, them, he would make them look kind of dumb in a lot of ways, right? And that, that's why I love reading the New Testament many times is because Jesus, in, in some ways, he's a little bit of a savage. You know, from the standpoint of like, he would say these things and I, I can just picture the Pharisees be like, oh, why would you do this? Like with one of the parables last week, you know, like, would you, you know, your, your son, you can't do healings on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says, if your son or an ox fell in a hole, would you not get them on Sabbath? You know, he points out, and they're like, oh, uh. You know, they, they would say, well, uh, they would be angry with him and say, it must be the work of the devil then. So Jesus was being accused for doing this good work. What we see next is that Jesus actually refutes these things. He refutes these accusations. We see that starting in verse 17. But he, that's Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. So Jesus refutes these accusations by presenting three arguments, three different arguments to, to counteract them. And the first one is a logical argument. It's the argument of logic. And we see that in verse 17 and 18. By he knowing their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and divided a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? He says, why would Satan fight against himself? You know, if he's trying to build up this, this enemy of God and he's trying to, to make it grander and, and, and try to defeat God, why would he fight against himself? 
These verses might sound familiar to you because uh, they were also spoken, and I believe Abraham Lincoln was quoting the scripture, and they were quoted by, or spoken by Abraham Lincoln to the Senate. He said, a house divided against itself will fall. When he was speaking these words, he, he was referring to slavery and freedom. He spoke to the Senate, he said, part of you, some of you are for slavery, and some of you are for freedom. And, and I, I love how later on Abraham Lincoln says, and I'm, I'm for freedom. I think that's honestly the best option. And, and praise God that we have individuals in our, in, our, in our political sphere that do stand up for what's right. Amen? Because that, that, that is something, if we, if we let evil men just run away, evil things are going to come, come to be. So Abraham Lincoln understood that. He knew that, that those that, that wanted slavery and those that wanted freedom, they couldn't be together. Because that house, it was so divided that it will fall apart. How many of you have played Jenga before? Yeah? It's not, I don't know, it's, it's an okay game. It's not my favorite. Um, but there, I have found this Jenga game that's like, the blocks are like this big. And so when it stands up, it's like, I don't know, like almost as tall as me. And so when you pull a block and like the whole thing falls, it's a disaster. You know, it's one of those things, especially if you're like pulling and it falls on top of you, it kind of hurts a little bit. But how many of you have, have played Jenga and you, you were the one that pulled the piece and it all fell apart? Yeah? Yeah, right? I, I think if we had played Jenga at least a few times in our life, we were probably that individual. Well, in many ways, we can't take, if we're trying to build something up, we can't take it apart and try to build on top of it. Right? We can't, at some point as we're taking these pieces and trying to build, up, build itself up by, by tearing itself apart, it eventually will fall down. And, and what Jesus is saying is that Satan understands that. He knows that. As a matter of fact, I think this is such a simple concept that even children understand this concept. Right? They might, they might go to their dad or their mom and, and say, Mom, can I, can I get some ice cream? And the mom's like, no, not before dinner. You need to eat your dinner first. And so the kid's like, oh, man. And goes over to the dad. Hey, dad, can I eat some ice cream? And the dad's like, well, you should probably eat your dinner first. And the kid's like, well, mom said I could. And then the dad's like, uh, you know, he's like, I don't want to be divided. You know, I, you know it, maybe she had a good reason. Maybe it's healthy ice cream, you know, <laughs> thinking, thinking along those thoughts. See, a child, he's dividing the house and he's like, and eventually as they come together, the parents, they might just argue with each other, you know, because the dad might be like, oh, okay, well, if your mom said, then go ahead, you know, and then they might get after each other. A child knows that a house divided will fall, right? The child will get the ice cream because of the division. See, Satan, he's not dumb, okay? He's not the little red cloaked with a pitchfork horn guy that you see at Halloween, okay? He's, he's, not, he's not simple. He's not dumb in that way. See, he's not going to harm his own goal just for the ultimate plan that he might have. He's not going to destroy himself. He understands what will happen. See, his plans are to seek and destroy the things that are God's and the things that he wants to take from God because he knows his end, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, that Satan doesn't understand what's going to happen. He knows who God is. He just wants to be like God. He wants to become more powerful, but he can't. Spurgeon, I love how he puts this. He says, whatever fault the devils have, they are not at strife with each other. That fault is reserved for the servants of a better master. See, the devil and his, and his followers and, and his demons, they, they work together. In theory, they're, they're a well-functioning team. That's what Spurgeon is saying here. 
and, 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 and it hurts, but I like what he says where it says, the fault, this fault is reserved for the servants of a better master. We see more division within our own, within churches, right? Within our own church. That's the part because it's, if we need to be unified, in which we should, right? The scripture always tells us to be unified in one spirit, right? In one, under, under Christ, we are unified as, as the bride of Christ. But yet we find ourselves dividing and fighting against each other more than the demons fight against themselves. The second argument that Jesus uses is that it's actually self-incriminating for them to use this, to, to refute this, right? In verse 19 it says, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. So I don't know if it, was a, if it was on TV. I saw it a long time ago, but it stuck out to me. Um, but, you know, there's always those, like, TV judges, like Judge Judy, and I think there's, like, Judge Brown. I don't know. There's, like, 50 of them now. Um, and they may or may not be real. I really don't know. But there was a, there was a judge, and, and the, the, I don't know positions in court, but the person that had the complaint, the person that said, hey, this individual stole this car from me, was telling the judge what was in the car. And, and they said, yes, I, I had, I had a, a backpack with my computer. I also had a wallet, and the wallet had $25 in it. And the person he was speaking against, I, uh, the defendant, I don't know, he, he actually spoke up and said, no, the, the wallet didn't have $25, it was $23. And the judge looks over at the person and is like, really? And so right then and there, the judge ruled in their favor because they're like, you just self-incriminated. You just admitted to this wrongdoing. Why do you even need to be here? Right? This is what, it was so obnoxious, but that's what Jesus is telling them they just did. They're like, you guys just, you just played yourself a little bit. Right? You just fooled yourself. Jesus says, well, what about your favorite exorcist over there? What about your sons, the ones that are casting out demons? Aren't they all doing the same thing? Why don't you say that they're doing it because of, by the devil's power? They might, they might argue back and say, no, yours is different, though. Okay, yours is different. See, the, the reason why it's different is because this demon, this was a mute. And, and I believe from what, I, what I've seen Jewish tradition, in order to cast out a demon, you had to have the demon speak its name so then you could show you had power over it. So they say, this demon was mute. They, we believe this demon was en, unable to cast out. I don't know the right word, right? Unable to just send out of there because you could not, he could not speak its name. They, they would use that as an excuse. The, G, the demon was uncastable. But in verse 20 is Jesus' response to this. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, and try to, in, instead of trying to refuse and push back the power of God, Jesus is like, why can't we celebrate and rejoice that God has shown us his power today? They're, they're, they're trying to say, wow, no, this person, they, they, he must be of the devil. Instead of looking, be like, wow, this is a, a miracle. This is a great thing. This individual was so possessed and this demon was mute and, and we thought it was un, you know, unable to cast it out. But then this man, Jesus, he came and cast out this demon. Praise the Lord, right? That, that, that's what Jesus is saying is like, if I'm doing it by God's power, shouldn't we be worshiping God? Shouldn't we be directing our attention and, and say the, the kingdom of God has come upon us? And this is what leads us into this parable that we see today. And that's Jesus' last argument for their accusations. See, their accusation, it actually ultimately showed the power of Jesus. They, they were admitting Jesus' power. 
We see this in verse 21 and 22. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. So in this parable, Satan is pictured as the strong man. Satan has rule over what is his. Okay, the Bible doesn't say there's some weak, little, unimportant person that's just over here and, you know, they have a couple things, right? He describes him as a strong man with armor, with weapons, things that he has in control. See, demon-possessed individuals, they, they can't control themselves. They are possessed. They're underneath the control of the demon. But it's also those that are continuing to practice in sin. In 1 John 3, 8, we read, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The individuals that just keep on sinning, they're making a practice of it. It's just a, a thing that they do day to day. It's something that they, they know what they're doing and they love doing it. They're under the control of the devil as well. The devil is a cruel and strong master. But there is one that is stronger, amen? There's one that is stronger than he, and that is Jesus. And Jesus is the stronger man in this parable. I love these words that are, that are used to describe what happens here. The first one is attacked. That's in verse 22. Attacked here means a sudden physical force. How many of you have seen, this is in my notes, I just thought of this right now. How many of you have seen like the one punch thing? Right? I think it's by like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan or something. Where they're like, one inch punch, yeah, one inch punch. There you go. Where they're like, his fist is like an inch away from the person's chest. And then he just like does this. And the person's like, <gasps> like gets the wind knocked out of them or something, right? It's a sudden physical force. And I like that because it's not, you know, it's not Jesus just trying to passively come over and say, hey, do you mind just giving over that, you know, it's Jesus suddenly and physically attacking him, right? The word overcome here means to be victorious over. Not only is it a sudden physical attack, it is, it is a victorious one. Jesus is stepping up and overpowering. He's overcoming the enemy. Jesus has invaded Satan's territory. territory. He's destroyed his armor and weapons, and he has claimed his spoils, See, that's a, that's a great thing. And, and when Jesus was referring to earlier about when they were claiming he worked for the devil and, and he was saying, but if I'm doing God's work and I'm, and I'm working with God's power, shouldn't we be praising because the kingdom of God is here? Jesus is saying in this parable, the kingdom of God is here. I am in your presence. And that's something they needed to be excited about. I love this passage in, in Colossians chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. Colossians chapter 2. This is a great passage about what Jesus has done for us by sacrificing on the cross. Colossians chapter 2, starting verse 13. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. The word of God says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Man, that's an amazing thing, amen? He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. 
Not only was it, it wasn't like a strong man versus another strong man. Like, man, that was a really good fight. So I guess the winner must have been the stronger man. No, this is Jesus putting the enemy to shame simply because of how powerful and how quick he had triumphed over the enemy. See, Jesus is the stronger man in the passage, and he is something, that the individual that we need to be turning to, right? Jesus gives us these options. There's a strong man and a stronger man. Our Lord has led captivity captive. We see that in Ephesians 4. And he has set prisoners free. Though Satan is permitted limited authority, he is ultimately a defeated enemy. And we can praise Jesus for that because of his sacrifice on the cross. So how do we apply that today? Where's the application? Well, let's go back to uh, Luke 11 and start reading in verse, uh, verse 23. Verse 23, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. But when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with each and every one of you? You may say, well, I'm not demon-possessed, right? As far as I know, I'm not. You know, I've been saved. I've been filled by the Holy Spirit. So what does this have to do with me? I'm not, I'm not worried about demon possession. Jesus is stronger than the devil, right? Amen? All right. We could go home, right? Is that where it ends? We just like, okay, just admit, yeah, Jesus is stronger than the devil. We get it. What we need to understand, though, is you may not be, you may not be specifically demon-possessed, but we are still in the midst of spiritual warfare. And I have no doubt many of you experience it probably day to day where, where you're just trying to, to, uh, to, to help the kingdom of God and, and push the kingdom of God and you're trying to just grow closer to God but you feel constant battle against you. The spiritual warfare, it has everything to do with your soul. Now what's up to us is we must choose a side. Which side are we on? Verse 23 tells us we are against the Lord or we are with the Lord. There's no middle ground. There's no state of neutrality. What happens when we seek neutrality, we are in fact choosing Satan. When we seek neutrality, we are in fact choosing Satan. Our flesh and the desire of our enemies is too strong for us. When we're trying to do this on our own and in our own sinful flesh, we will always go toward the enemy, and that, would, that is Satan. So how do we choose the side of Jesus? How do we become on that side? How do we join the side of the stronger man? First one is we don't simply repent sin, but we must receive Jesus. We don't simply just repent sin, but we receive Jesus. Starting verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So the man in this, in this story, he saw that he had an issue. Right? He saw and he, he did something about it. He may have been, he may have been exercised, 
Okay, not going out for a jog or anything. The demons may have been casted out of him. The demons may have just decided to leave. We're not really sure, but the demons had gone out of this person. Now, the demon went out and went to waterless places. So the demons, they all come to Colorado. Okay, they all get here. <laughs> and, you know, they, they know people from California aren't the demons. Okay, they all come to the waterless places, okay? But while they're there, they look around and they realize, no, I don't want to go, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to where I was. It was better there. So when they go back to this individual, when they see this individual, do you know what they find? That the spot is wide open for them again. You know, like how many of you laid in the snow and made a snow angel and then like, you know, stood up and then turned around and the spot was still right there. Like I picture almost the demon kind of comes back and it's just kind of like his, you know, pose exactly where it was. In fact, actually, it was, it's been swept up and it's been cleaned for him. It's almost like kind of welcoming. See, may, the, the individual, the man, he may have turned from the demon, but eventually the demon made his way back around. Now, it's not just the demon, it's also the person in this story, too. The person, they, they probably admitted they had a problem. Said, yes, I, I'm dealing with, with a struggle, there's a demon within me, and I need to get rid of that. So what happens is the demon leaves. And then the person, as they go on in life, they continue to do the same things. They continue to be part of the same groups. They continue to, to, to partake in the same sins. They continue to do these things. And so when the demon comes back, he looks at an individual and he's like, ah, just like I left you. Right? Home sweet home. In fact, it, it, for the demon, it's better. So he invites seven others that are actually worse than him. He invites them and is like, hey, yeah, this place is nice and swept. We've got plenty of room for you. See, what happens when this, this man, when the demon had left, there was a spot. There was this empty area left. And when that space isn't filled with the stronger man, Jesus, the enemy makes their way right back in. Now, maybe this isn't a demon and we're saying, you know, well, I'm not demon-possessed. So, again, what does that have to do with me? Maybe it's just sin in general, though. We all struggle with sin, right? How's your fight going? How's the fight with sin going? Are you exhausted? Are you to the point where you're exhausted yet? Man, sometimes when, it, when I'm trying to, when I struggle with my own sin and I'm fighting against it under my own power, that's the most tiresome I've ever been in my life. But what I find when I'm fighting against it and I use the stronger man in the instance, boy, is it refreshing. Man, if you're exhausted, turn to God. Turn to his power. Let him work in you. Acts 13, verse 19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we fight this battle on our own, we never find refreshment from it. We never do. See, we can, how I like to look at it is we can dig. We can dig a hole all day, but then we never have the refreshment that comes with it. See, we might, we might think, oh yes, there's buried treasure, there's reward, just one more scoop away. And so we just dig and, and nope, just one more, one more. Satan might tell in our ears, he might say, nope, just one more scoop and you'll be refreshed. Commit this sin just one more time, and then you'll be good. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll be refreshed, and you'll be rewarded, and you can go on your life, and you'll never have to do it again. What Jesus says is that he already has our refreshment waiting for us. 
He is the stronger man. He has already conquered this. What we need to do is simply turn to him and receive him. Not just simply state we have a problem, but fix it and work with God and ask him to help you. That was the first way that we do it. The second way is that we don't simply recite good works or we don't simply make religious claims, but we obey them. We practice these things that we, that we are hearing. In verse 27, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Taking sides with Jesus doesn't simply mean to just say the right things. Okay, if you grew up in church, if you went to church any time at all, you know how to say the right things. Right? If, if someone was to ask you, how are your devotions going? Oh, good. You know? That, that, that would be the right thing to say. Or, or, or uh, is today great? Yes, God has blessed me today, you know? Praise the Lord. He, you know the right things to say. But that doesn't mean that you are on the side of Jesus. This woman, she may have been sincere in what she was saying. She may have truly believed this. But simply claiming religion isn't enough. The way that we show our allegiance to Jesus is by living in obedience to his word. By not just walking the walk, but, or talking the talk, but walking the walk. Now, I'm not talking about a work salvation, but a works that is a product of a changed life. That's what we read all through the book of James. It's not a work salvation where if you want to be with team Jesus, if you want to receive Jesus, you need to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But we can't just simply read the Bible and make statements and say, yep, this is what the Bible said, but not actually live in obedience to it. Sometimes when we have gotten rid of a certain sin, we haven't replaced it with something that's good. We might acknowledge, we might say, yes, I won't do that again, and we, we condemn the sin. might look at it specifically. It might be, it might be lust, right? It might be something that, that, that we hold against another person in anger. And we might condemn it and say, yes, that's wrong. That's the wrong thing to do. But simply condemning it isn't enough. See, we are in the flesh still, and we turn to it if we have nothing to replace it with. We must put obedience to God's word in that place. Okay, instead of, instead of sinning, we turn to God's word. Okay, and, and instead of just memorizing scripture, we do what the scripture says. Okay, we, we might say, um, go, going back to lust, you know, like where it's like it's wrong. Jesus said, you know, if, even if you look at a woman with desire, with that lust, then you're sinning against, against God. If you're like, okay, fine. I understand that. I have that memorized. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be guilty of that sin anymore, right? What I have to do is practice that and not actually look at that woman and not actually uh, have those desires and to, to, to feel God, to put God in that place. We need to actually practice it. Just because you learned verses doesn't mean you are free from that sin. So when we don't side with Jesus, we are siding against him. And we may not flat out at the beginning say, oh, I choose Satan. But when we don't choose Jesus, our heart eventually leads us back into alignment with Satan. There is no neutrality. 
We will fall into the side of the strong man if we don't choose Jesus. We take sides with Jesus Christ when we hear his word and obey it. So church, we are in a spiritual battle. What gives you strength for your battle? Are you trying to do it under your own flesh? Trying to do it with your own power? Are you exhausted from it yet? Or have you sided with Jesus? Have you chosen the stronger man, the one that can overcome this? Where do you get your strength for battle? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for sending the stronger man. God, I pray that we would turn towards you and run to you as fast as we can and and grasp on to you, Lord, that we would draw near to you. Father, this passage tells us if we do not choose your son, if we are not on the side of the stronger man, we are against him. And we know that the stronger man will succeed. Father, help us to live in obedience to your word. Help us to not just simply recite good things. Help us not to simply just to to look at sin and say, yeah, that's wrong, God. Help us to actually obey your word and receive Jesus. Father, help us to, to live in obedience to what we had heard today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.